0: I, today we uh, continue um, on our journey through the uh, the Gospel of Mark, and um, today we're we're really uh, just got, got two more Sundays of uh, working through um, this, and so today we, we're we're um, in Holy Week. Actually, we're um, we're we're past Palm Sunday, and Jesus is gathering with uh, his uh, disciples. And in a sense, sort of giving his, his last words um, uh, to them in terms of what, how, how Mark um, presents this. And so what he's going to be talking about is the, you know, the, the end of the world and um, uh, Jesus' eventual you know, return. And which made me, as we're, as we're you know, singing the, the songs of just our, our trust, that Christ alone is, is our rock. And if that's the case, as we were seeing it, he alone is our hope, nothing else. Then why is it that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are scared about the end of the world? Why is it that when we consider... All that, that's going on in the world and we see the, the things that are happening, whether it's in North Korea or Iran or in Israel, where uh, actually it's not much in the news, but, but deaths in, in Israel are increasing because of combat with Palestinians and others. Why is it we get scared of the end of the world? If indeed Christ is our rock. Um, uh, in addition, there's you know, issues of climate change. You know, th- this is it seems like every two years, sort of the hottest summer on record. You know, shows up this this year. F- 1,500 cities across the world have had had high temperatures, the highest temperatures they've ever seen. Um, uh, it's the case in Europe, uh, it's the case in North America, and in Africa and Antarctica. Four continents have had the highest temperatures that they've ever seen in their record-keeping. But, for us, as, as followers of Jesus, that, who, that He is our rock, then we, we don't get scared. This is what Jesus tells us, and He's telling His the disciples then, and He'll tell us, as we look at this passage, we don't get scared, we get prepared for that day. Because what we recognize and know in the depth of our soul is that God is in control And even just as the beginning, the middle, even the end is in his hands. So as we'll see, as we read through this passage hear how many times Jesus says, Be prepared, be alert, be awake for that day. It's in uh, um, uh, Mark chapter thirteen, and we'll read the first couple verses, and then jump to verse fourteen through the end of the chapter, as Jesus is engaging with his um, disciples. And really, the the as I said earlier, the next thing that happens after this is pretty much uh, um, we head to Jesus' uh, arrest, his his prayer in the garden, and then his arrest is the next next chapter. So here, these are his. Of his last words to his disciples, let's uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your written word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, who en- enables our ears to hear and our heart to receive. And uh, we we ask that you would help us in this time just to to be prepared, um, to to know Jesus even more, so that we recognize him in all that he's doing now, and even in his return. Um, Show us, um, give us that, that sense of security and peace that transcends even our circumstances. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. All right, Mark chapter 13, starting with verse 1. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Now you can read 6 through 13 on your own, but it's telling about wars and rumors of wars and persecutions that they're going to face um, after you know, his death and resurrection and ascension. Um, and then we pick up here uh, sort of the, the the cherry on top, if you will, the, what what then brings it all to its completion. But when you see the desolating sacrilege set up where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one on the housetop must not go down or enter the house to take anything away. The one in the field must not turn back to get a coat. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not be winter. For in those days there will be suffering such as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now. No and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he has cut short those days. And if anyone says to you at that time, look, here is the Messiah. Or look, there he is. Do not believe it. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and produce signs and omens to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be alert. I have already told you everything. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alright, so... Let's just walk through this. Jesus is with uh, his disciples. And he's coming out of the temple. And they go hang out on the, the, the mountain next to it. And they're looking down at the temple after they've already said, Hey, you know, this is a uh, um, beautiful building, isn't it? And Jesus says, Well, yeah, but a day is coming soon when all of this will be destroyed. Jesus. Two questions they ask. When is this going to happen? And what are the signs that will precede it so that we know when it's going to happen? And then Jesus answers the second question first. Well, here are the signs. Here are all the things that are going to happen. The destruction, the wars, the rumors of wars, some of the stuff that we didn't read um, yet. And then the, la- the thing that we did read then uh, was then this desolation of sacrilege, right? This desolating sacrilege. And then you see that little, let the reader understand. You know, Mark's saying uh, to them, he's sort of putting this little parenthesis in there. This is what Jesus is talking about. And you guys know what he's talking about. And I want to say, no, we don't. <laughs> what, what is he talking about? Now, the readers that Mark was writing to, they knew, they knew exactly what he was talking about. If he just put a name, an emperor's name, you know, was this in, in around 40 or was this around 60? What was this all about? Was Nero or Vespasian? What, what emperor? Was bringing this desolation to the temple and the destruction to the people of God in Jerusalem. We don't, we don't know for sure. They did, but we don't. What we do know is that in AD 70, the temple was destroyed. And we know around in the mid sixties, there was a revolt of uh, some of the Jews in Jerusalem. And Nero, he came down hard. And then the the one that followed him, Vespasian, he came down hard. And they persecuted Christians and Jews. It didn't matter. Um, uh, they didn't care. They didn't distinguish between the two. But they threw them in jail. They beheaded them. They lost their jobs. They lost their families. It was destruction of epic proportion. Like Jesus said kind of destruction that the world has not seen since the very creation. And what he tells them in the midst of that is don't let fear be your guide. Don't, don't be scared, be prepared. You, you know that this is coming. And so he's telling them there will be people that are trying to give you the easy way out. There'll be false messiahs. There'll be false hopes, false prophets that are all around trying to bring you to them that you'll be tempted to chunk the faith totally because of the persecution and destruction that's coming your way, the evil that you will face. I took a little bit of time, sort of did some research, which as you well know means I googled. uh, What's are the greatest or worst um, uh, destruction death caused what's the, what caused the most death around the world what what events um, and one the bubonic plague the black plague in the early thir- mid 1300s you know was was one where conservative estimates are that 10 to 15% of the world died I mean, if you go and look at one of these, you know, graphs, sort of shows you the exponential growth of population of the world. Yeah, you know, it sort of goes along, and and you'll see a blip down in that graph because, uh, and that's the the Black Plague in that day. That that was number one. Um, now number number two was all the the deaths surrounding World War II. Again. The most conservative estimates were around 37 million people were killed as a result of World War II in six years. And then the the third one was the European colonization of the Americas. Uh, Roughly 25% of the indigenous populations of North and South America were, were killed... Because of the colonization, most of whom because of the introduction of diseases that their immunity system wasn't prepared for. But 25% is the conservative estimate of how many people were killed from that. So you can imagine if you're in a situation where 25% of the people around you are dying and you can't explain why. Or that you hear bombs or you hear planes and bombs exploding and you... You don't know what's, what's going on, that there would be great fear and trepidation to take hold of you, and that you'd take the, whatever easy way out that you could. So Jesus is telling his disciples, which is the, this is the worst that the church has ever faced, saying, hold on, be prepared, be alert, be awake. He says the same to us, that there will come times in our lives, individually or even corporately possibly, that it will be hard to be a Christian, that there will be opposition and persecution that will be direct. Now, you know, I've said this a a number of times, you know, in the first century and other parts of the world, they fear the raised sword. And for us as followers of Jesus, we fear the raised eyebrow. It may come a time when it will be most, but let's be honest, when it comes to persecution of the church, we got it easy. I mean, we didn't have to go through any checkpoints to get here. We didn't have to look outside. Some of our friends in Iraq have had, have shared stories with us about. They look outside and check out, are there, are there militants out on the street? If not, okay, you can come to the house today. We'll have church. If there are militants outside, sorry. No, no, we'll, we'll worship on the phone together or we're Skype with each other. But it's clear that Jesus is telling his disciples then that you will face persecution. And as we know of the, the four guys that were sitting with Jesus, uh, James, uh, John, uh, Andrew, and Peter, you know, that. We know three of them died a martyr's death because they were proclaiming Jesus was risen from the dead, and John didn't, but he was exiled to the island of Patmos for his whole life. So there, there is, I mean, granted, as we were singing, victory is ours in Jesus, but that does not mean that persecution isn't also ours. We have victory through persecution, not from it, but through it. And Jesus promised as much too, just in our, our reading last week. And, and it'll be tempting to chunk the faith or to find some false hope that, that says we get to avoid the opposition of the ways of this world and the devil himself and even the sin within us. But Jesus wants to warn them as he wants to warn us. We will face opposition. So be alert. Be prepared. I mean, you see that verse 5 and some of the parts we didn't read. Verse 9, verse 13, and verse 23. Be alert. Now, he says, verse 23. I've told you everything here. So these are the signs from 23 um, uh, uh, to verse 1. These are the signs of the end of time. And then he, 24, now he moves. Now, after the suffering, this will happen. And then he proclaims and he lays out before them... I will return into those days after that suffering. Then he gives us these outlandish galactic kind of events. You know, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from the heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then you'll see the son of man coming in his glory. As we were singing, then you'll hear the trumpet sound. Friends, this is the good news. This is the sure and certain hope that we are secure in Jesus even through nuclear holocaust, even through natural disaster that is unimaginable, even through the sun going out. The power of the son of God is greater than whatever you can imagine on steroids. So there is never a place to go to, for, false hope or to, to live in fear, because we know this is the power of God and that he promises to come back and get those who are his elect. Now, it's in these in these passages for those that um, uh, are clued into these battles of Calvinism and Arminianism and all that. Well, this is one of those passages that's one of the, the, the Calvinist's greatest passages and that everybody will become a Calvinist on this notion. Because if there is such destruction and evil and cataclysmic explosion of the entire of creation, then there's nothing we're going to do. There's absolutely nothing any national power can do or if everybody comes together as one, there's nothing that we can do to stop this. And there will be many of us in the midst of this time that we will fail and fall and we will lie about our commitment to following Jesus just like Peter did when he was at the cross and he denied Jesus to his face three times. But Jesus is faithful even when we are faithless. And it's not about us being strong enough. It is about him having made the choice and elected us to be his own. And one day he will come and bring us back. That is, is that's where our security is. That's why we have no fear because it's not about us. Even when we fail, it's not about us. That's why we have this time of confession that Missy led us in. And we're going to fail. Sometimes the persecution we face is our own cowardice. Our own weakness. But he has chosen and he, it's for the elect that he even stops short the destruction of the day of the church. It's for the elect that he will then come and gather. That that is our sure and certain hope that there's nothing that can separate us. Nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And, and see this too, that that what, what he's saying here is there's no need for a fault. There's no secret here. There's no secret sauce. There's no secret prayer. There's no secret information. You have heard today the good news. You've heard it already that Jesus has come to free us from our sin. He has died for us. Taking our sin and our guilt, our shame to death and leaving it there. And he has been raised to new life. And one day he will come again for he has conquered sin and death and judgment. And we are his That's the good news. There's no secret code to what the Bible says. And when Jesus returns, the whole world will know it in an instant. When the sun goes dark, everybody knows. When Jesus comes back, everybody will know. So if someone says they got a secret prayer that really makes it happen, no, they don't. They may have a great prayer and it's a great prayer that sends you point to Jesus, but there's no one, there's no secret information hidden in the 35th chapter of Ezekiel. No, it's right here. The gospel is plain and simple. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling a people to follow me who will repent, will turn from the ways of this world and the devil himself and come and follow me and be a part of a community that are following me together, who will help encourage, support and challenge one another to be my people because you're going to face storms. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face opposition. You got to have one another to face it. Don't. React in fear, but in faith. Because I'm coming back to gather you. There's no need to be scared, but to prepare for that day. Then, verse 28, he picks up the next question. Well, when is that going to happen? When will your return be? See, he's answered the first question, what are the signs? And he finished that answer in verse 23 when he said, I've told you everything. Then he picks up in verse 28 after then, then giving them that, that sure and certain hope of Jesus return. This this is why you can face this person because you know that I will come back to bring you to myself. But now you ask me when will this happen? When will I return? And basically what he said is, You don't need to know. Matter of fact. Jesus said. In my humanity. I don't even know. So. All the folks. That are making a big deal. About how they've calculated. When Jesus will return. Know more than Jesus. We don't need. To know that. It's. Again, just as in the first part, he's saying, this is not, don't be scared, but be prepared. He's saying, this is not about calculation, but about preparation. Cause that's, that's his command throughout. You know, be awake, be alert, be on guard. Don't waste time trying to figure it out. Don't, because you know, Trying to figure out when Jesus is return, returning is sort of like what, I'm not saying I would do this, but I could do this. I, I could do this. So let, let's just say, hypothetically, that my wife goes out of town for a week. Let's just say that maybe would happen. And I would be at home and leave all the dirty dishes all over the house for a few days, have some science experiments going on in the refrigerator, you know, and just, you know, that might happen, right? That maybe I would do that. But when I know she's gonna be home, the hours before that, I am feverishly cleaning and bleaching and sweeping and vacuuming and cutting and trimming and washing everything that needs. So that when she comes home, it looks like the house has been pristine, beautiful, clean the whole time. That could happen. Yeah. Maybe. If I'm waiting, if I'm calculating when Jesus is returning, does I have anything to do with following him? With loving him? With wanting to be his today and every day. He said, no, it's a waste of time. Don't do that. Instead, spend your time and energy in preparing for the hard times. In preparing for the persecutions. And in looking forward to my return. I mean, he makes it clear throughout and he ends it the same way. He says it over about eight, 17, 18 times that he uses these words. Be alert, be prepared, be awake. That's why the, the title of the sermon is spiritual caffeine. What's your spiritual Red Bull that keeps you awake to be looking for Jesus, to knowing him? See, if you know Jesus, if you've spent your time studying him and knowing him, gathering with God's people, you're not going to be fooled by a false messiah because you're going to look at him and say, that doesn't look like anything about the Jesus that I know. So that that won't that, that won't be a problem if we're prepared, if we're awake. And then when he does come, We'll say, that looks like the Jesus I know that I've been waiting for, that all of creation is groaning for. And when he comes then, I'll celebrate. I won't be fooled because I know it'll be him. So we, we keep awake. We don't sleep. We're aware. Now, and, and for our age largely, even though, you know, Christianity largely is, is in a, a day where it does not have the, the, the popularity that it had in in our culture 40 50 years ago we still have nothing called persecution compared to Christians in other parts of the world it it, it still can be an okay thing to be a pastor in a crowd now our age maybe more of one of staying awake well it's like, it's like this you know when I'm driving in a storm I'm driving which I've, I've done plenty of times you know I've driven through the flatlands of Indiana during a snow storm rain, freezing rain storm you know and seen semis spin out in front of me when I'm driving in that man my eyes are open I am alert checking all of my mirrors both hands are on the wheel I've been on Malfunction Junction in, uh, in Atlanta on I-20 as it goes to Atlanta and it has this huge overpass uh, there and in the midst of tornado warnings and storms. And I promise you my car changed lanes sideways. You know, I've been in those, and when that happens, I, not only are my eyes open, not only are my hands on the wheel, but I'm praying like a fool too. God help me. So when I'm driving in those kind of storms, I'm not going to fall asleep. But if I'm driving through the endless Alabama pine trees on I-65 going south, or through the flatlands of Kansas in the midst of cornfields, it's real easy for me. Oh. I'm driving, like, whoa, back asleep, awake again. And if i drow too drowsy, I might find myself in the midst of a bunch of corn or intimately wrapped around one of those pine trees. Uh, be awake. Don't fall asleep. Be aware. Because we are Seeking to live according to the kingdom of God, the ways of heaven, the ways of Jesus in a world that directly opposes it. That's why Jesus has said throughout the gospel of Mark, you know, that the the first in in heaven, the first will be last and the last will be first. He's saying, he's telling us that that the, the ways of the world are just not the ways of Jesus. They're not the way of the kingdom. They're not the way of his people. And so we have to come together, be aware of that so that we are continuing to help, encourage, support one another in following after Him. I mean, what what are you doing now to prepare for the harder days that may be ahead? What are you doing now so that you're knowing who the real Jesus is? To face the fear and the evil of the destruction that maybe we will face. See, we, we read through the book of Revelation not in order to figure out the time He's coming, but so that we are prepared for His coming. We recognize the spiritual battle that is ours even today. But you may... May you ask, well, why? Why wait? Why not come now? I mean, if everything's been done, I mean, come on. It's been 2,000 years then since everything. Or 1950, 1,950 years since the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. And all of the things that Jesus said were fulfilled why wait mean when jesus said all these things will occur within this generation i believe he was saying everything that needs to happen has happened for jesus to return there need be nothing else but god's decision and wisdom to say it's time and come on you want an invitation We'll we'll give it to you. Come on now. Let's put this to end. Let's finish off the groaning of creation. Let's put the the pain and misery of this world aside. Let's come back and make it right. What's in 1 Peter chapter 3, or 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 8, that, that, that Peter tells us, he answers actually the question of his folks he's talking to is why? Why is God taking so long? He says this, But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. So, in God's time, it's only been two days. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He's waiting because he wants to to further extend the who the elect are. There's still more to come to know him and to to celebrate him and to glorify him that will or to to come be a part of the family business. It's not just to be prepared for our own sake. But we're to be prepared for others. Because it may just be in that time of persecution, that, that time of opposition, that time when, when things really go haywire and anarchy come. If you're walking with Jesus and you're prepared for that time, then you know Him and you've got a joy that other people cannot explain. And that may be just what they need to then be awakened. To the goodness and power and love of God that's in Jesus Christ. And you will be prepared not only to receive Him. But you'll be prepared in that time. Whatever that evil might be. To then help them see what it means to trust, to know and to love Him. So Jesus tells them and he tells us, stay alert, stay awake, be prepared. What I challenge us to do is to do an assessment of our own preparation. What are you doing to keep on learning, to keep on changing, to keep on growing, to keep on encouraging, to keep on challenging one another? I mean, how are you open to change in your life? What is Jesus doing in you today? How is He preparing you today for tomorrow and for whatever might come? I mean, that, that's what the church is. It's that place of being prepared, of encouraging, keeping one another awake, poking each other. Hey, you're dozing off, literally and figuratively. Yeah, so you didn't know and you know your loved one next to you is dozing off you know, during the, the sermon, you're obeying Jesus by saying, hey, stay awake. <laughs> but that's what the church is to be. A place where we, we gather and we strategize and we strengthen and support to face whatever it might be, whether it's the long drive through Kansas or a drive through the middle of an ice storm. We are not... Sorry to say we are not the place where it becomes a nice little lazy cruise. And if that's the prepare that's the thought, then man, you're you're missing what Jesus is preparing his church for. I mean, notice this throughout what I've noticed throughout Mark is Jesus never asks anybody, when did you believe me? When did you raise your hand? When did you walk the sawdust trail? He doesn't ask. When did you pray the prayer of salvation? He asks. Are you following me today? Do you know me today? Are you you walking with me today? How are you preparing today to meet me face to face? And it's not it's not out of fear. It's not out of shame. We're out of worry that we prepare. But it's out of love. It's out of excitement. It's out of joy. Because we know that Jesus is better. We know that Jesus is the best. That Jesus is the one who leads to life. Jesus is the one, as we've seen through Mark, who gives true wealth. Who gives true life. Who gives true peace. And we've experienced it. We've felt it. And we look forward to that day when He comes back. That's Why we prepare. That's why we help one another to stay awake. That's why we're alert. Amen. Let's uh, let's pray together.